welcome to Power Reflections, a proud member of the Doof Network, where we reflect on Wabo's most self-aware work as it releases. I'm Ruben Morehouse. And I'm Elliot Diebold. And we are back to talk about Back Away. Uh, 5.3, 5.4, and a phone call, where you eavesdrop on a Verona's phone conversation, which is fun. The second time we've done that in this story, I think. (laughs) Yeah, but this one was like less horrifying and less important. Mm, yes. Actually, I don't know if that's true. You know, very different <laughs> angles. Um, these two. But yeah, yeah I, it, it definitely um, feels like definitely heating up. Yeah, yeah. It, it's like we've we've opened the coke and the Mentos, mm. and we're getting ready to, to put the Mentos into the coke. Mm-hmm. Yep. I, I don't well, know. Before, before, have we taken it outside? Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, we took it. We opened the coke. We opened the Mentos. We took it outside, <laughs> and now the Mentos is slowly falling into the coke. I genuinely wonder that, if anyone understands what we're talking about. <laughs> I was going to say, before we get to that, let's do our rosies and thornies. <laughs> uh, no, uh, let's start by diving into uh, back away five point three. We're in Verona's head. Um, she is making her way through the woods trying to find Sharon, but along the way she has bumped into a not-so-friendly ghost. Yeah. Because um, last week, I think you made the point that, like, Verona versus Sharon was shaping up to be so great because Verona was having to confront her as a human. Um, yes. Like, you know, she like, I, I, something I don't think we actually touched on is, like, she's lost her sight, which lets her see in the dark, and I felt that's important because... Mm she is always going on about how she prefers the dark and like that's where she wants to be so she's sort of having yeah that... where she feels comfortable and blanketed by it yeah but that was no longer the case without her sight now she's just fumbling around because the dark is actually dark um mm. when she's in human mode who would have thought um and and yeah so just like you know to sort of take the point you'd already made and just really reinforce it uh now we have this ghost who just seems like a perfect extra level of challenge for Verona right now um yeah it's literally haunting her with stuff related to her dad oh yeah i mean it's for real this ghost is perfectly designed to mess with verona like putting aside the fact that she's literally being haunted by a a ghost of bad parenting but yeah we'll talk about in a bit how this ghost seems to be tailor-made to just mess with verona which is great (laughs) yeah especially because the thing we had to keep in mind during this is that it was easy to do when I first read this at the start of the week, but like Verona just went through that whole nightmare thing with Alpi. Like she's already mm-hmm. kind of emotionally devastated by that. And then it's just like, this ghost just showed up and it's like, Oh, you thought we were done. Um, mm. it, it, it's yeah. Verona goes through the ringer in, in these two chapters. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. Um, yeah, it's rough. <laughs> um, and especially, so so I guess to talk on the ghost, Verona initially decides, she's like, oh, you know, there was that other ghost in Arc 2 and when we were with it, like we had to sort of engage it uh, to keep it structured um, and not lose it. So I have to challenge this ghost to make it go away, which mm. I think makes sense. But her way of doing that is she's, she tries to argue with it and, and what you start to realise, well, Verona doesn't, but what like you as the reader sort of is about halfway through is like, you know, this ghost was constantly fighting with the people that keeps thinking for her. Like, her fighting with it is actually what is sustaining it. Mm-hmm. I feel like what she, the way she actually challenged, because she doesn't have to challenge it, like, emotionally. She needs to challenge what the imprint or the memory is of this echo. Yes. And it's yes. E- it's an echo of being in fights. So, yeah. like, fighting it is actually the worst. 
is just strengthening it, if anything. Like what yeah, she needs to do. Oh, yeah. What she needs to do is forgive it, which is like that was never going to occur to her. Like I don't, I don't blame her at all for not getting there because like this almost seems designed to push all her buttons. Well, yeah, it it is a ghost that represents the kind of toxic cycle that you can get stuck in with with this kind of narcissistic or abusive parent, and this is the exact cycle that Verona's stuck in, right? So it's yeah. very much she just can't like she's hardwired to not be able to deal with it. Yeah, well, I mean, she she honestly like. And, and, you know, I'm not judging her because given the situation, like, this is probably exactly what was planned. Like, she absolutely fails to not engage this ghost. Like, there are so many oh, yeah. there's so many points where it sort of says something. She's like, I don't think that's true because this and this and that. Oh, and also, like, I'm not holy. Like, her afterthoughts of directly challenging the recording, mm. like, they're always the last thing that happens. She, she mm. first enga- engages with it on, like, a moral or, like, an actual... She, she engages in the actual argument before sort of as an afterthought sort of thinking, oh, and, you know, you're just a dumb ghost. But it's like mm. that as the conversation goes on, she's doing that less and less and as more of an afterthought. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's clear that she doesn't quite get why this ghost seems to stick to her so much, but it seems fairly clear to me at least it's sticking to her because she's feeding it right yeah there's definitely hints that there's there's more to it than that or maybe like how it found its way to her but like certainly once it had latched on like she was basically just feeding it exactly what it wanted is the impression i get like she fell straight into whatever trap this was meant to be um Mm. and luckily it doesn't seem to make things go too bad big picture but like um yeah, yeah she i like once you sort of come at it from that perspective of oh she needed to challenge it by not fighting it you can really see how she just sort of failed spectacularly yeah completely (laughs) um it's gonna be like so obviously because we ended 5.1 like lucy's chapter with lucy having that realization that verona is seriously considering uh Mm. becoming a cat full time Mm -hmm. um and then obviously now we've just had these two verona chapters in a row where verona has just been sent through the emotional ringer yeah and i can't like this this discussion is going to be so good now because like i feel like this is going to push verona to a place where she's more likely to just explode because you know that's what happens when you get emotionally drained like this over two chapters um and then like yeah or just all the stuff with the dad like verona's just going to be in such a volatile spot for lucy to come and confront her with this now it's going to be like explosive and i can't wait Mm, yeah definitely (laughs) (laughs) um yeah i'm just uh, well i mean this is the thing about this ghost right is we start learning that there's obviously a lot to do with this this person and like animal abuse and so verona turning into an animal is kind of explicitly cut off from her as an option which becomes great because it's her go-to defense right yeah yeah that's a really good point and and there were moments where I kept expecting her to start to turn into a cat. And I was thinking, don't do it. Like, you, you mm-hmm. can't. Um, she almost does it and then kind of catches herself a few yeah. times. Um, yeah. Because so I guess just because we haven't, I, I think, explicitly addressed it. Like, fuck this ghost and its whole. Oh, yeah. Like, what a piece of <laughs> shit. <laughs> um, like, response. Don't get a pet if you, if you can't. Like, I, I don't know. Like, you know, it might be rough sometimes having a pet. It's like a little kid. But like yeah get the fuck over it um yeah yeah there's definitely a trend between this this echo's ability to parent and to pet owner 
Yeah. Um, well, I mean, they're more or less the same thing, I would say. Yeah, I'd say one's a At more least overlapping skill form. sets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's there's a lot of similarities. I'd say kid owning is more extreme than than mm. pet owning. Unless you've got a really exotic pet. That's fair. That's fair. It goes, you know, dog and cat, easy. Then kid. Then like, I don't fucking know, tiger king or whatever. Ah, uh, yeah, probably. I mean, they eat a lot of meat. I don't I'm know. Feeling like like people have like real exotic aquariums. That's probably What's the hardest pet to care for. <laughs> I wonder if this is a thing that is like. See, this is the thing. When you Google this, all the results are. Oh, these are the low maintenance pets because well, <laughs> nobody What's actually the wants the high pet? ones. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. I mean, I guess all wild animals are are bad. Venomous snakes, mm. bears. Can you have a pet bear? Apparently, you can get a pet bear. There you go. What a world. You can have pet wow. pigs and dogs, but maybe I'm jumping ahead. And then I'm... <laughs> okay. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> then we'll get to that next chapter. <laughs> um. Yeah. I. What were we talking? About? <laughs> <laughs> Completely lost the plot. Um. Mm. Yeah. So yeah, you're uh, as you said. Like she can't even go into animal form. Uh, so the ghost actually starts to like beat her up. Um. At this point, and it. I don't know. This felt like this is like some of the best episodes of Supernatural. Like the ghost is teleporting around. It can hurt you, but you can't hurt it. It's yeah. just this very like it symbolizes what I feel like these two chapters, or at least the end of last one and the start of this one, are doing, which is just like kind of beating Verona down. Um, mm. Like there's nothing she can do in this fight. She can't use mm. her animal transform powers. She can't use her sight. Um, she can't touch the ghost, but the ghost can touch her. Like this, just she just yeah. kind of has to run away and, and get attacked which is just like the worst yeah it's not a good time for poor verona is it um yeah she really i mean she tries to do some stuff but nothing that she tries really works here no yeah like she manages to make it disappear for like a little bit but yeah not much um she does manage to get her sight back for a bit um and so she sees the the echo in her sight as like a little meaty thing um which i guess she says most things like that um but it, it has this little black parasite on it mm-hmm. and that's the interesting thing here because that feels to me like it's meant to be hinting to us that there's more going on here than just like you know the chaos of the carmine beasts and the trio of tenants in town um uh, do you what do you do you have any theories on this yeah i don't know i mean this happens a few times right where it's it feels like either this is just a part of this other and it's just a little quirky or something slightly more is going on in that this situation is being even more manipulated than we thought with just Bristow. It, but it's hard to say. I mean, Bristow seems to be taking more or less full responsibility for everything that's going on here. And yeah, it doesn't seem like his style to be using the others, right? Yeah, so I, I don't... I think when he took full responsibility, he maybe underestimated how bad Kenneth's gotten already. Like, he doesn't know. Yeah. Um, he, he, yeah, he, he actually doesn't know how bad it's gotten. He may have completely mm. underestimated what he was taking responsibility for. Mm. Um, yeah, like, because Verona's sight is maybe the one I feel like I haven't completely understood as well as the other two. Um, but definitely, like, it seems to focus around showing, like, the fundamentals of what something is. Like, cause mm. like, I feel like, you know, Verona is a personality. She likes to understand these core cool mechanics and build up from them um, mm. in terms of the practice. And I feel like that's what her sight lets her do. Um, it's just because it's Verona that takes the form of meat wrapped in plastic. Uh, 
but you know things like the milk being like a, a baby cow and stuff like it's these symbolic like origins of of, of what things are so the fact that she saw this as a differently colored parasite to me seems like pretty good proof that it's not like part of the ghost naturally like something has infected this thing mm. and is affecting it mm. i i don't quite yeah. know what that that is but like like th- there's like doubt cast here and there about how much of this is just you know the chaos of the tenants being in town and the barrier being down and how much of it is extra deliberate stuff this feels like evidence to me that there's another layer of interference happening mm. yeah like we still don't know yeah. who who cast the strife on them at the blue heron institute no and you're right i mean we've had all throughout since they've come back it's been like oh you know this is most likely sharon just kind of stumbling across the right things but even so it seems a little bit more (sighs) damaging than it should be like everything about this situation has seemed so uh, coincidentally has gone in the worst possible way right which is not necessarily a sign that something's got that something's on but it, it, it is suspicious yeah yeah i yeah i don't know i i feel like there's something but then at other times it seems to be implying that it could just be you know the fact that bristow's been integrating these three as a team so like sharon has bits of clem powers that would sort of drift her towards finding stuff like the perimeter um so yeah i, I suppose you never know but um I, mm. I feel like there's something else going on here mm. yeah i mean we'll see um yeah we kind of just have to keep an eye out for it i guess yeah uh, so Verona manages to eventually get this echo off of her case and finds herself hiding from Sharon and the cops. While Sharon plugs her stream, <laughs> Verona cuts a new deal with a uh, a deal with a new goblin friend. He's beautiful, and I love him. Yeah. And I hope I hope we keep him. Or he's great. Um, I mean, that, actually, yeah, that makes no, me sound great. like a pet, which is not a connotation I want to make. I did I did the same <laughs> thing right in my now. life. Really. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Like I hope I hope this. I hope this little guy becomes a Kenneth, a Kenneth other. He's adorable. Mm. Little booger well, goblin. Well, he hasn't even got a name yet, but he definitely <laughs> seems to be a good match for like a cherry pop type goblin. He He's a real dope. Imagine having um, someone below cherry pop on the ladder. <laughs> I didn't even know there was a possible well, position that's below cherry pop, but that's clearly what this goblin is. I mean, there's Charles. Mm. True. True. Charles is lower than cherry pop, isn't he? Wow. I think that was a joke that was made at some point by the Kenneth others. I can't remember when. <laughs> um, so I think it was during the vote. Yeah, I, I'm Pop trying to remember vote, when that But Charles didn't. I don't When remember. that was. End of arc three, maybe. Um, something else funny that I noticed was uh, one of the cops, when Sharon's talking about her stream, one of the cops talks about, oh, is that on WooTube? WoobTube. And Sharon says, no, another side. WooTube has issues, but you have the right idea, which clearly is an indicator that she's been deplatformed from WooTube, <laughs> which I thought was funny. I mean, yeah, it, it's funny. I didn't get that at first because, like, YouTube, like the, the, the real world WooTube, um, like, does have issues. Oh, yeah, totally. So, like, at first I was coming from this, it's like, oh, just does, does Sharon have to deal with some of the, the bullshit that YouTube pulls? And then you said this, and I was like, oh, no, you're right. That's totally what it was. She was too far right, and <laughs> she got been, kicked off the platform. She's just been deplatformed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, great. Good stuff. Good stuff, <laughs> WoobTube. Um, so, yeah, I mean, as as Verona is kind of exploring her cat form after she gets away from this, anim- from this animal abuser, there's a line where she's like, 
thinking about how great it is to be in cat form because she doesn't have to worry about human things anymore. Yeah. And I'm just like, oh, my God, Verona. Like, she's actively recognising that she's using this as a way of, like, bottling up her emotions. Like, that's bad, right? Yeah, but, like, I mean, I guess that is the whole plan, right? Like, as, yeah. as, 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 as I mean, yeah, but still. <laughs> like, this, this is hurts. exactly the point. She's She's been taught by her parents that people can't deal with their emotions. Yeah. So she's just decided that she will find an alternative, and this this is one. Um, mm. I, I, after you brought this up, I couldn't help but notice that uh, when she transforms, the like, because she's been, and we talked about this last chapter, like she's turned it so her cape, she can just sort of wrap herself in her cape, and it and it turns her into a cat. Mm. So the text for this is literally she wrapped herself up in cat form, which is just like she she's literally using it as a safety blanket. Like I f- I feel like the the phrasing of that line is very deliberate. Like she, mm-hmm. yeah, she's wrapping herself up in her safety blanket of being a cat. Um, yeah. And, and then the text does take some time to point out how this isn't fixing the problems though, because she's like a city cat, not a nature cat. And she has to keep all these eyes out for predators. And that's really hard because everything's moving and she's not used to it. So this it's just like, it's always, she's just like, oh, you know, I need to feel safe in my cat form. She gets to the cat form. She's like, everything's a predator. It's going to get me and I'm not comfortable here. (laughs) Oh, God, Verona. Yeah. This cat, I mean, yeah. We knew as soon as she first turned into a cat, all those arcs ago, all those yeah chapters ago, that this was going to be the problem. And it just is continuing to be. (laughs) Well, there's that other moment where she gets near Sharon as the cat and then realizes that's actually strengthening the glamour because, like, Mm. Sharon's not going to weaken glamour that reinforces her worldview which is like a really it's one of those details that always catches me off guard in this universe because when it's explained i'm like oh yeah that makes more sense but yeah i wouldn't have thought of it at the start um (laughs) so like just a great little detail but it's also like my thought when this happened was oh but what if it turns her into like more of a cat like remember when she was a mink in Mm -hmm. the start of arc two because marisica demoed glamour by turning her into a mink and she like lost her brain it, that doesn't even cross mm. verona's mind verona's just like oh this is easier now and i was yeah, just like great. No, i but... can just stay as a cat forever <laughs> so no but what if that becomes the case and you're stuck as a cat not a human in a cat body mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah i mean yeah she just doesn't i i don't know i don't know we we don't i don't want to just talk about this in circles but she just it's just so dangerous, <laughs> you know? Yeah. But at the same time, like, I'm not going to blame her because, like, she just went through this ghost, the nightmare. Like, I get needing to just hop in yeah. your shell for a bit, you know? Like, that's that's a level of, like, emotional abuse from the universe where I'm kind of like, yeah, you know what? Mm. Just, just this once, maybe <laughs> just tell everything to fuck off for a bit. Yeah. Yeah, just let it yeah just chill just chill for a bit and besides like lucy's gonna make this conversation probably as soon as they meet up and take Mm. care of daniel so yeah yeah um so yeah here's another example of what we were talking about uh where verona sees a a deer and uh she reflects on it and there's like a symbol in a in its forehead there's like a sphere set in one of its eyes and it's very like, I mean, again, it could just be a quirk of this other, or it could be something augmenting it somehow. Um, yeah. I yeah, mean, the, I don't know. The description of this thing was so whack, I wouldn't know what's part of it and what's not, right? Like, mm. like with the ghost, it was like specifically called out, this is a little extra parasite. 
with this thing it was just like this is a whole bunch of crazy shit um which is like there's definitely a lot of that in these two chapters of just now that the perimeter is down just showing us all this weird nightmare shit like um there's the bit where avery's on the telephone pole and she sees like the woman who just sits there giggling and doesn't move right Mm. and it's like the the town is just now full of weird and bad shit like that yeah full of creepy others there's also um like the fact that this thing is a deer which is obviously like yes there's lots of deer in this story there's avery um there's the alabaster doe yeah like i was i sort of was looking at this thing i was like "Mm -hmm, should i be reading any symbolism into this you know like obviously especially because like a song of ice and fire opens with um the the direwolf and the stag killing each other and that's obviously foreshadowing a lot of that story so it's just like i'm trained to see deer or you know deer related stuff it's like oh what should this be telling us but um mm. i couldn't think of anything specific i don't know what to make out of hollowed out candle deer imagery yeah other than maybe it's indicating that edith is working in tandem with the alabaster dough that's all i can think of <laughs> I, that's actually not the, like the craziest sounding plot. I mean, could yeah, could be. Um, and actually, I'm just going to jump in here because I, I noticed mm-hmm. in the notes you're about to skip over the part where Verona pays off the goblins for cleaning up the area by giving them <laughs> a rude picture she drew. Um, <sighs> I I just love this bit because we we did actually talk about how like the goblin like this little dopey snot goblin. Um, She's like trying to explain to it that she wants it to get friends and help clean up and she'll give it a reward. And it doesn't really mm-hmm. work until she's like, oh, also it's going to piss those people off and they'll fight about it. Yes. And also, like, I'll only give like the one prize, like, which is that old trick she used with the nuggets. Um, yep. And then Clearly she even gives... speaks to these goblins. Yeah. Well, and then she gets the, the, the like picture and she hands it to them and they all just sort of fight over it and they tear it in half and run off for different halves. And it's just like, I love this goblin group mentality of they'd rather tear everything <laughs> down to have their slice than just share it. Like, they're just yep. such little shits. Yeah. It's like they're... what Bristow's doing. Yeah, I definitely got the impression that the fact that she was only going to give this prize to the to one of the goblins as well also elevated it. Like, the fact yeah. that she wasn't going to give a prize to each goblin that helped really turned it around. Yeah, it, it's... it's, it's like, I'm not even kidding. It's the same logic that Bristow's using where it's like <laughs> they, they want something over the other goblins more than they want something. Yes. <sighs> silly. Silly, silly goblins. But yeah. Um, so yeah, Verona is kind of waiting and watching. And as she waits and watches, she bumps into another friendly ghost. And she and this other ghost sit and watch Sharon and the officers together. I don't, I don't think this thing's a ghost. I mean, yeah, I, true. I, I, I just don't know what it is. It as a ghost, but it, it does feel a bit more, you know, it's got a bit more brain cells to it. Oh, more than that, I, I got the impression it had like a physical form because it's very mm. gooey and leaky and Goopy, has skin. Yeah. Like cl- closer to uh, Avery's new friend in the next chapter, the pig dog man, mm-hmm. in form, not in temperament, uh, but yes. in, in form. Yeah, like, sure closer to that sort of monster type thing just like mm. a straight up like horror monster mm. um but i mean th- like this is i know we usually save like the best kenneteer stuff for the reflections episodes but like this is the sort of scene that just is the reason why i think verona is so fantastic she, she just like she sits <laughs> she's not down phased at all is she <laughs> no she she like has a moment where she's like scared just because somebody's right next to her looks at like this kind of objectively horrifying monster and it's just like so yeah, let's chill here together. 
Um, mm-hmm. It's so casual. This exchange she has with it, where she's like, "I love this whole thing you've got going on," and and the the go- the like monster sort of says the same thing to her, and then it's like, "So don't tell me you're like evil and eat babies." And <laughs> the monster makes this like so so gesture. Verona's like, mm-hmm. "Yeah, mood." Um, it's just it. Yeah, I I love this. Like Verona is the fucking best, and her not judging things based on how human or like classically beautiful they are is. So imp- important to the imagery of this story as well. Um, mm. I love, yeah, I love this so much. <laughs> yeah, it is good. Um, yeah, the fact that she immediately is able to bond with this very, very creepy thing. I mean, yeah, it's great. But just about anyone else would take a look at this thing and like freak out and 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 lash out or something. Like Avery would have mm. sprinted off, um, but Verona, Verona just treats it as a like as anyone else treats it as a peer just quickly checking hey you're not evil okay not overly cool whatever cool. yep that's good <laughs> enough for me the whole thing's just so casual i loved it mm. <sighs> yeah it's good stuff um i mean i we're seeing more of sharon i have a few quotes pulled out but actually now that we're here i don't want to read them just sharon is a piece of shit like <laughs> every time she has an opportunity to to demonstrate her character it's she picks the worst possible option. Um, <laughs> she's just the worst. Yeah, like there's this bit where she's basically putting Mister Lie in the mm. in the line of fire. Yeah, which is obviously infuriating because he's like the good teacher that they have. Um, yes. Oh my god! And she says like, "Oh, he had an accent. I don't think he's been in this country for oh, long." Yeah. And it's very clearly her. It's, indicating it's, to it's the so police, racial. hey, like maybe check out his immigration status too. Yeah. Like, holy fuck! There was no need to bring race into it at all, let alone like yep. multiple times. Um, yep. Uh, uh, yeah, she follows it up with that bit later where she's like, "I'm not racist. Like my best friend is Asian." Which she's just like, "Oh, we we need to get Clem out of here." Mm-hmm. <sighs> I I do like yeah. that one bit though where Sharon, I think Sharon sort of says like, "Ah, oh, as if I date someone from a shithole like this." Mm-hmm. And and Verona like gets irrationally mad, which was just like a perspective I can totally get with, because like as someone yeah. who also lives in a shithole, <laughs> it's kind of like I can make fun of it, but then if somebody's like, "Oh, that place oh, is a yeah. shithole," it's like, "Oh, how dare you?" Yeah, I live here, buddy. Watch it. <laughs> it's like I I remember it being the same with parents, like when you're a teenager, where it was like, mm. "Oh God," like you know, I hate my mom. She did X Y Z, and then you know, if someone else is like, "Oh yeah, your mom's a bitch," you'd be like. If, excuse the fuck you like how dare you mm. like i can complain yeah. about my parents but you can't so it's, yeah, the same, exactly. it's the same thing yeah um yeah something else that happens here as they're kind of watching and thinking is that verona kind of starts to realize like and we see more of this when we talk to charles next chapter but verona realizes that with the perimeter down things just aren't going to resolve cleanly. And I think Verona's maybe one step away from thinking of it in terms of, oh, we're probably not going to get back to school in time. But the real problem is, as the protectors of Kenneth, they're kind of duty-bound to, to to do their best here. And they're just going to have to put up with a lot of shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like even if they get the tenants out of town at this point, the perimeter's down. We don't. Verona doesn't even know how bad that is yet, but they're still like the town's going to be full of bullshit they're going to have to deal with. Like, this is going to be a lot of cleanup. Mm. Um, yeah. 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 I, let's talk about it more, I suppose, um, later on when we when we get the deets from Charles. Mm. Mm. Yeah. 
Um, we'll see. We'll talk about it next chapter. Um, so anyway, uh, Verna does confront Sharon, mainly just pissing her off and keeping her off guard, which is great. <laughs> yeah, I, I love I love the moments leading up to this as well, though, because um, this is like f- the first time Verona actually has this this minute to pause and actually reflect on all of the emotional bullshit that's been thrown at her in the last 20,000 words. Oh, not just that, like the situation with her dad as well um all the stuff she's just been bombarded with uh even big picture realizing that magic isn't just fun it actually comes with like a a dark side and mm. there's this moment where she's like i don't know if i'm strong enough to weather this and then she starts to think about like well what do i want like i want to be with lucy and avery and I want blah blah it, it, when she starts to think about the good stuff she just suddenly sort of walks out and confronts sharon it's like this real moment that i don't even think she processes how monumental it is that like mm this is what separates her from her dad is like her dad mm. just lets himself get drowned by this stuff. Whereas she, she had this thing she's looking forward to. She has a something she wants to have in the future and she uses yeah. that to find this strength. Whereas like when you think about someone like Rona's dad, what, what does he have to look forward to? Like, mm. you know, what, what can he motivate himself with? I feel like there isn't anything mm. and that's what he's missing. Whereas like Verona has that and that's what allows her to step up and actually do this. Yeah, it's a good point. This is a great, uh, you know, differentiator, I guess, for Verona and her dad, where she has, I mean, you know, we've been talking about it. She, she is getting flooded by horrible shit right now, right? But she focuses on what she wants to do and who she wants to be as a result and then takes, you know, motivation from that. Um, yeah, well, because she actually she, want, she wants to give up and there's a point where it looks like she's about to and then she yes. quickly thinks, oh, but then if I do, I don't get X, Y, Z. And that's what, like, turns it around. Yeah. And, yeah, just thinking about that, I was just like, I don't know what Verona's dad would have to substitute in that place. Like, I don't know what he would see as being good in his future. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, it, I don't know. I mean, I think if Verona's dad was able to you know be be realistic about and and think i mean i think verona's dad if he was a better person would be able to think about things that they could look forward to that he could look forward to to draw strength from i i don't think he doesn't have anything going on that he can like you know like i mean verona, yes, yes and no but like if if verona didn't have avery and lucy and it was this more um mm. or this less tangible like oh i'm gonna have friends like the thing is verona's dad doesn't have like someone to replace verona's mom or anything like he doesn't have a woman he might have he might be able to like draw on this concept of oh i'm gonna you know find someone to love or something if, if that's what he wants if that's the holy needs field like this is hypothetical obviously mm. but like, i i feel like it is actually a bit harder when that's very theoretical of oh i will find a person as opposed but to but i mean he has uh, like he clearly knows that his relationship with Verona isn't good. If he was going to think to himself, okay, I'm going to really make sure that I can improve my relationship with Verona, that could be a source of strength to him. I, I'm not going to give him an out by saying that because of his shittiness, he's gone into a position where he doesn't have anyone who cares about him. That's his own damn fault. Yeah, no, I'm I'm, I'm agreeing he's put himself there. But like <laughs> with someone like Verona's dad, like, like I, I'm still looking for ways to get him out of this because that's better for yeah, everyone sure, if, sure. if we, if we right. could fix no, it. Is. <laughs> Um, of course it is. It's better for Verona at the very least. So like, like yeah, I, I not to minimize like how he got there, how much he's hurting Verona already, but like, yeah, just like I, I think it's important to like look at someone like him and understand what the reasons he's stuck here because that's how we get him out. Mm. Like, mm. how could we try and create scenarios that he's willing to look forward to and work towards? You know. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um. 
Uh, jumping back to this conversation between Verona and Sharon, it's so satisfying. Verona is, I mean, it, it basically reads like an alt-right, you know, takedown video where somebody <laughs> is just eff- effortlessly debunking every single point Sharon makes while also just like, we got to give props to Verona. She Sharon clearly is someone who's practiced at like playing with words and Verona fucking runs rings around her to the extent that all that Sharon can really do is like run away from the conversation. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I like Verona does so spectacularly here. She actually kind of just manages to drown Sharon out in like bullshit, which is, yeah. you know, just fighting fire with fire. Technically in the best true way. bullshit is the best kind. <laughs> yes. I, I love the bit how she's sort of like, Oh, Bristow sent me. And it's like, or, or Bristow's the reason I'm here. And it's like, oh, that's brilliant. Um, or Bristow says hello. Well, he speaks English. He probably says hello sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite. Um, yeah, you're right. Like, I, I just love this as just she she kind of uses these shitty tactics on Sharon because you're not going to win her over with, like, logic or anything. <laughs> so you just, you just got to kind of throw bullshit at her before she can throw it at you, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's great um and then of course sharon has to escalate she gets to the point where she uh talks about well she says she pulls out a gun she pulls a gun on verona is what happens <laughs> she says i've shot people before i'll do it again as if we needed any more reasons why sharon is absolutely terrible yeah wait sharon heroes don't shoot children mm. i think we yeah, all no, know sharon this. you're clearly such a good person gonna <laughs> fucking shoot a child what are you talking about I mean, I guess she doesn't actually shoot at Verona. Like, she does, like, a warning shot. Like, mm. the only way you could be worse than Sharon is if you actually shot a child. But, I mean, she... I don't know. She she gives every indication that she's 100% going to shoot Verona. Yeah, that's true. Like, the only reason she doesn't is she doesn't get a chance. Yeah, John John steps in. I wonder how far she, she would have been willing to go. Because it's... Yeah. Yeah. You have to be pretty extreme to be willing to shoot a child. Yes, that's quite a, I mean, maybe this is a controversial thing to say, but I'd say that's quite an extreme thing to do. I, I'm just saying if there was a character who'd shot a child, I'd consider them worse than Sharon. <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> a real villain. Anybody who's shot a child. <laughs> I mean, I definitely wouldn't want to read about them in a world of story. <laughs> let me tell you that. Um. But yeah, I mean, uh, Sharon also confirms here that she's like anti-vax and because yeah. like I, I, I went and reeled it up in the dossiers because I'd forgotten. So her because she talks here so much about how she's got like her debunking like myths channel, which is like her popular yes. one um, yeah. with, with, with the 6000 people or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that's the one that like it is her sort of main one. And then this this like 400 person one that is the one she wants to do well, but isn't. That is her yes. one that is like this anti-vax conspiracy, like you know all the all the flat Earth level bullshit that she's engaged in. Um, yeah, and like I just I just love that so much that like she's sort of just doubling down so hard on all this stuff, and it's just going nowhere. And Verona yeah, gets to call I, her out on that in such a fun yes. way. Oh yeah, it's so good. Verona's just like yeah, four hundred subscribers. That's like not as much as a kid who just makes Lego dragons makes. He doesn't even <laughs> edit his videos or whatever. Um, yeah. Oh, but it's classic. As John shows up, like you did talk about, because there is that one moment. Yes. Like as Verona seems like she's winning, there is that one moment where Sharon starts to turn around because she's like, "Did Alexander Belanger send you?" And Verona's yeah. like, 
Uh, he he mentioned that name, did he? Which <laughs> is just such mm-hmm. a bad response. Um, yeah. so it's just a like real just giveaway of a response. Yeah, just as she needs backup, it's like John shows up. It's perfect timing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so John shows up, John helps her take down Sharon, Sharon gets knocked unconscious, they they jump into her car and start heading back into town. I love, I love this bit, so, I, unless I read this wrong, there's like this hilarious moment where Verona, uh, Verona's sort of like, hey, there's no karma problem with us having done this to Sharon, right? Like, because she had the gun out and everything, mm. and John's like, yeah, I don't know, uh, and they're like really unsure on the karma of like having knocked her out, so... Then in the next like hundred words, they tie her up, put her in the back of her own car, and take her car. <laughs> it's just like, well, I guess in for a penny, in for a pound. Yeah, um, no bad karma there. They're just taking the car. <laughs> oh, yeah, I don't know. I like I. It's it's just hilarious how quickly they went from. Hmm, was it okay to knock her out to let's kidnap her and and you know joyride in her car? Yeah. And then also John makes Verona put a seatbelt on, which was like a hilariously wholesome moment. Like John's such a protector. He's a hero. He's a champion. He's a real <laughs> Captain America type. He is. Um, <laughs> yeah. So that's where Backaway 5.3 ends. In 5.4, we are with Avery and Snowdrop. They are perched on a telephone pole watching a creepy pig dog man. And he doesn't notice them until Snowdrop opens her mouth. Yeah. I, so I started calling this guy uh, Mr. Schweinehund in my live read because apparently if you just put the words pig and dog next to each other in German, it, it makes a word Schweinehund. Sure. I think German, does German have something where you can just like merge words you together? You just or stuff together. Yeah. Anyway. Um, but because I, I tried looking this guy up to see, mm. if, like, is this actually some sort of mythological monster or something? I couldn't find anything. So it, let us know. If you know if Wabo was basing this off an actual monster, yeah, I I was looking for. Um, I mean, I was doing a lot of Google translating from German into English as as I went through this chapter. I'm assuming you were too. Yeah. Um, I, there there wasn't that much that I could find, and that led me down the path of not diving into it too much. But um, yeah, yeah. I mean, because there's definitely there's one episode of the Magnus Archives that I feel like this guy could have come out of. Um. I've only listened to season one, so that's not a huge spoiler. Um, mm. But like, yeah, I don't know. There's obviously like butchery stuff and like with pigs and dogs. Yes. If I, yes. When I first tried Googling like pig dog stuff to see if I could find, you know, like Pied Piper type stuff instead, of, except instead of kids and rats, it's pigs mm. and dogs. Mm. Um, all I could find were articles about how pigs and you shouldn't own pigs and dogs as pets. Like you can't, like, you know, you can have dogs and cats, but you shouldn't have pigs and dogs because they fight a lot and stuff. Um, so, you know, this guy truly magical because he managed to get pigs and dogs working together. Good on him. What a hero. What a champion. Uh, yeah. So he's, he's seemingly speaking some form of archaic German. Um, uh, uh, he says something called Essenzeit at some point, which when I, when I pasted into Google Translate returned marriage time, which <laughs> I thought was fun. I, um, I did the same thing, but if you take the H out, it's yes. actually meal time. Yes, which makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I I don't know if this is some archaic German as much as it's maybe just like we're getting like, because Avery Phonetic doesn't speak translation German. This yeah. is what Avery hears. And, yes. you know, I, I this guy's mouth is behind his pig lips as well. So like between yeah. the accent, the fact that like he's a monster, um, there's, there's, you know, probably a lot of slight errors in the, in understanding mm. the phonetics. Um. But yeah, it, I, I, we kind of got the same thing with Daniel uh, a couple of weeks ago. 
So it's like this really cool use of the written medium where you can spell things that the characters don't understand phonetically and ha- rely on us to do a bit of detective work if we want to as as the readers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's cool, definitely. Um yeah, just interesting an interesting character, this pig boy. Um <laughs> yeah, Avery and the pig dog man continue to fight and Avery isn't doing so well. Uh, Snowdrop does a few strong plays, which are great, but unfortunately uh, faints after a little while. <laughs> so I, I love this moment. So the the, uh, the pig dog man corners Avery for a second, mm. and she has this sort of like, oh, I'm not the person in the action. Like, I don't do that well here. And I had a bit of a chuckle at that because I'm 99% sure both of the other two have had that same thought of like, I, I'm not the one who's the action person, it's the other two. Like, Verona definitely thought that after 1.z. I remember Verona in, like, 2.1 was like, oh, mm. you know, Avery was so brave and, and Verona was doing stuff and, and I did... Uh, sorry, Lucy was doing stuff and I did nothing. Um, I'm pretty sure Lucy has felt the same of, like, Avery's doing this and Verona's so smart and, you know, what do I bring? Like, it's just all three of them are taking turns at being like, oh, the other two are so useful in scraps and I'm so terrible. Mm-hmm. Mm. yeah i'm i don't know i mean i remember when she first pulled out her hockey stick during the hungry choir fight right yeah i remember she was doing some serious stuff i think has she become outclassed <laughs> no i think i think what it is for avery like i if you sort of think about the specific lens of how each of them focus on what the other two are good at it becomes a bit clearer like especially by the end of this fight avery is not She's not like the leader or she's not like a tank. Like she talks about it a bunch in this fight. She likes to play the wings. Like the reason there's a reason this thought sort of comes up when she's cornered because she isn't the fighter in the sense of like when she's cornered, she can pull big moves for herself or whatever. Like she likes to help raise other people up. She she She's a team player and she thrives when she's assisting her team is what it feels like. That's why she always mm. focuses on how alone she is in this fight. Um, I mean, God, she even lets Charles come with her at the end of the chapter because she doesn't want to be alone. So that's yeah, that, that's rough. That's, that's how dire things are. Um, <laughs> so yeah, like I mean, the moment this all turns around, even is when Snowdrop needs rescuing. Like Snowdrop faints, and that's when Avery pulls out this thing and like turns it all around mm. and manages to get away. Like she is at her best when she's elevating other people. Is sort of the vibe mm. that I'm getting. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. As soon as she has someone to protect, she's in full-on mode yeah and if she's yeah you know if she's being the distraction or um yeah laying laying hits to 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 give someone else the chance to do the critical blow that seems to be where she's the most comfortable Mm, mm, yeah that makes sense um yeah (laughs) so this the this this pig dog man his weak point if you will is the staples that hold his masks to his face <laughs> like he's his real weakness is he's very shy and doesn't want anyone to see his face which i thought was quite fun uh yeah like um it's funny how like viscerally he reacts when they start going for the staples because as soon as avery suggested it i was like i guess that makes sense like you know he's a horror movie monster if they're wearing a mask it's usually for some reason or another like take the mask off that makes sense um mm. it's a fun it, it adds this sense of hope that they're gonna win the fight as well because. <laughs> And just keep attacking his staples. Yeah, yeah. It gives it. It's good to have a nice vulnerability to a monster, so that even though I mean this guy seems really strong, but you at least know, okay, we have a way to like slow him down. You know. Yeah, exactly. It, it, it's a classic like horror movie 
sort of enemy where there's like something that'll work on them or something, some weak point. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there's okay. There's something else that happens during this fight, <laughs> which I thought was great. I put out this quote where Avery during this fight says, after she's like battling a pig, she says, I don't eat pork anymore, guy. <laughs> and it's just like Avery's doing her best to do some the old witty banter, but it's she's just not that good at it. Like, she, I guess she's trying to improve the theatrics of the fight. This is not a good witty banter line, Avery. I'm sorry. I mean, I, I love it. I'm never going to discourage fight banter. Um, it, I think we've talked about this before. It's, it's like my favorite trope. Um, even if it is like, I agree. This line makes no sense. Like it's like this pig bears its teeth at her and Avery's just like, I don't eat pork anymore. Yeah. It's guy. not a good, uh, and it's like, yeah. okay, <laughs> not, not, not strictly relevant. Um, mm. But thanks yeah. for letting us know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I did sort of think that, like, as I was reading this, because that was, like, a big thing for Avery uh, after the Forest Ribbon Trail, where she stopped wanting to eat meat. And mm. as I was reading this, I was like, oh, is she still kind of doing the vegetarian thing? Or is she... Because she, 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 like, wasn't committing to it at the time. She just really didn't feel like meat after, mm. you know, all the shit with the wolf. And then, I, like, I couldn't help but notice, like, this is... Again, we talked so much about how perfect that ghost in the last chapter was for haunting verona this guy is sort of perfectly targeted to interfere with avery because like the meat imagery harkens back to her trauma with the forest ribbon trail um this is a guy who can sort of be everywhere like, he's got a pack he's got that group mm. like avery's thing this whole fight is how alone she is yes and this is a guy who has like a swarm and a team I like that. that. That he's sort of working with. And, mm. you know, he can he can travel around and be where he needs to be in the battlefield as well. Like, he's got even cooler, fast travel than she does. Yeah. Um, like she, she just uses yeah, he's her... like a dark Avery. I didn't even think of that. That's yeah. great. Um, so, a- again, that, and that just makes me think, these enemies they've got, they're so specifically targeted. Yes. And you might yeah. say, oh, that's just good storytelling. But the thing is, this is the other verse. It's always both. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, I'm like convinced that this there's, there's got to be something to how these three keep seeming to run into the person who's perfect to fuck them up a bit. Yeah, and then obviously to Avery's rescue comes um, her own breed of pigs and dogs. But I guess we'll talk yeah. about that in a moment. Yeah, exactly. I th- I think that's what makes that moment work so well. Um, yeah, yeah, we'll get there. I one last thing before we f- sort of move away from the, this fight with this guy is um I just want to bring up. So we get told later this guy is a boogeyman. Um, and we've also been told that boogeymen are from the abyss, although I admittedly, I'm mostly pulling that from mile end, uh, which we covered very recently. So you should go check that out. Mm. But, um, I just remember, wasn't Avery asking that guy in zoom town, she's like, Oh, should I go to the abyss? Like, is it that bad? Mm. And that guy was like, uh, this is our first thing we've seen from the abyss. I think that guy might've been onto something. I I don't, yeah, no, don't go there. (laughs) Let's not go there. I mean, maybe it's not all this bad, but like, so far, this is our representation of the abyss. I'm kind of like, I wouldn't be booking my holiday right now. <laughs> yeah, it's still clear, is my advice, Avery. Uh, it's not a prime travel destination. Um, <laughs> so Avery uh, ends up seeking refuge with some innocence and gets a brief respite from Pig Dog Man before he then appears in the home behind the innocents. <laughs> I, I loved this because I just completely bought into uh, agreed with avery's logic of like oh these are the innocents he can't hurt those we'll be fine and so i was like Mm. i felt safe in this house 
Yeah. And then she sees him just start sneaking up on the lady, and I was like, oh, oh god, oh, like, shit. oh, yeah. this is illegal. Hold on, no shit. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, it's not a good place to be. Um, of course, our our pig dog man gives his name. He says, "Ik bin nicked gut," which is presumably his name is nicked gut. I would I, assume, which is a radical name. Again, I, I sort of went for the phonetic angle on this, and like, if you spell nicked n i c h t, it just means like not, and gut is is German for good. So he's just kind of saying, "I'm not good," which mm. I mean, no shit, Sherlock. Like, yeah, <laughs> I don't. Maybe I don't, he's maybe he's more of a tragic figure than we thought. And he's yeah, like I didn't know desperately what to trying to prevent himself from doing all these crimes. Like, I wasn't sure if he's saying, like, I'm not a goodie, which, because, again, I was just like, I don't think you need yeah, to tell no us shit, this, buddy. Yeah. Um, or is he saying, like, you've hurt me? Or I, I don't know what, what how to read into the word good here. Um, mm. You see, yeah, I, I don't quite know what he meant by this, but, like, yeah, just solidifying that he is not a hero. <laughs> Thanks for letting us know. Um yeah, so so uh, Gashwad and the other goblins shop to help Avery fight uh, Nicked Gut or Not Good, uh, while the innocents end up cowering upstairs. Yeah, so so we already touched on on this, but like I, this feels like such a mm. triumphant moment to me because uh, just like Verona had last chapter, Avery has this moment where she's facing this this guy down, and she gets that moment to center herself, and she's like, "Okay, I'm alone, and that fucking sucks, and I hate it, but." I can do this by myself and she sort of like focuses on her her little glamour check marks and she's like I'm cool I can do this as like mm. the second she does that the goblins all just show up and and like suddenly she has her allies and she she manages to work to support the goblins as they fuck this thing right up um, yeah this is rough the goblins take it to task um uh, it, it's funny because like, I I feel like there's the interpretation there that like Avery having this thought of I can do this. I I don't need help. Like I can kick ass by myself. And then having friends just show up invalidates that. Like you, you know what I mean. Like there is definitely mm. the, the way to read that of like, oh well, actually, it didn't end up mattering. So that that was nothing. Mm. But that for some reason that just wasn't the vibe I got. It was like the second she was like, I can do this. Then the universe was like, yeah, you can. And and here we go. I'm gonna make it easy for you now. Yeah, here's like, some help. I, I, yeah, I'm not a hundred percent sure exactly why, but like there's just. Because I was sort of looking at it, I was like, I feel like you could take this negative interpretation, but for reasons I can't explain, that doesn't feel right to me. This felt mm. like a good moment. Mm. Yeah, yeah. She, it, it, it's, it is. It's surprisingly wholesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's also speaking of surprisingly wholesome. Uh, mm. there's this bit where Gashwad is like, oh, get out of the way. You know, you don't get hurt. And Avery was like, oh, I, I can and. Gashwad interrupts her and he's like, we swore, we swore we'd help keep you safe. Mm. And I think like that was a huge moment to me because like, unless I'm just forgetting old stuff, I was like, I think this is the first instance of the Kenneth others sort of talking about not just not hurting them, but actively like keeping them from harm. Mm. Like, I think this might be the first sort of thing where it's like, oh, we're proactively going to help you. Yeah. Uh, and especially coming from a goblin, like we just would talking about how how shit they are at working together like they'll tear each other down the second they get the chance um, yeah for, for half of a you know <laughs> half a hand-drawn nude yeah exactly so i like, just it like this felt like this really strong moment to me of like ashwad saying no like i'm going to protect you coming from a shitty little goblin like this i was just like oh holy crap like 
we've spent so much of this talking about how the Kennet others and the Kenneteers can't manage to trust each other but like with that foundation the fact that even a goblin will step up to protect someone like her i was like i i I have you know i have good feelings about this Mm, yeah yeah no i'm with you um the the goblins can be not super wholesome a lot of the time but this is a nice little (laughs) just a nice little bit of hey yeah we're all on the same team i guess you know we've needed some of that yeah and that's what gives me this hope that you know despite all the other bullshit going on the Kennedys and the Kennet others will manage to find a way forward because mm. they contractually have to. <laughs> um, I want to touch on this stuff with the humans and the f- like what this scene must be like for them. Cause I was thinking about this, I was reflecting on it and it's like it, there were a few specific beats pointing out, you know, uh, the, the, the kind of matriarch of this family seemed to be saying like, Hey, yeah, let's take them in there was a, a a guy that was kind of dissenting being like oh hey you know they're just people off the street like you know they could yeah. be here to rob us or whatever and and the person's like no no let's help them you know and it's very much hey let's take a risk let's let's take a bit of a risk for to help this person and they they do good capital g good right mm. and they get punished for it like narratively in the sense that their house gets <laughs> trashed they almost get you know injured by whatever a pig dog man probably wouldn't have hurt them but you know something you get the sense something bad would have happened if they came downstairs right so yeah it's very much like i don't know it just felt to me like it another example of kennet even just kind of the innocence in kennet and how it's kind of degrading over time just with all the shit that's going on um the there are there are good people in kennet but after this will there still be you know and I think it's going to be important that Avery makes some kind of amends with these people specifically just as a way of showing like, hey, as the protectors of Kennet, we're going to leave it in a better state than we found it. Yeah, I think I think you're spot on with that. Like, I hadn't quite thought of it, but like, you, you're right. Like, this this poor woman, she keeps like affirming people are good. And yes. like, you know, because this guy's like, oh, what if Avery steals? And she's like, no, yeah. people are good. Yeah. Yeah. And they go upstairs and they must. So they came down to a floor covered in goblin spit and a broken tv um yeah you you're right like the, i i i do think you, you spot that that's sort of emblem emblematic of so much of this town is probably just you know death by a thousand cuts for the yeah. goodness of these people um yeah yeah you're right i th- i do feel like avery should have to come back here and and make up for this because this is this is the sort of shit where if it keeps happening um stuff's you know just gonna go down the toilet Mm. yeah for sure and and like this i feel like is a great demonstration of hey this is still going to happen with like this isn't just happening to the kenneteers or to the others but this is happening for everybody in town and that's that's part of the tragedy of this yeah yeah exactly because that's something we haven't had to worry about I, i think there were those parts in verona's chapter we maybe didn't talk about where um she she talks a lot about how there's this imagery of like she sees the town as having that throbbing heart. I think it was in last week's chapter. Yeah. Um, and how it was sort of bleeding out. And and this mm. is maybe that manifestation of that for the innocent. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Sharon, sorry, it's, it, Sharon did note that people had talked about increases in petty crime and all that. And yeah. we were just sort of t- t- chalking that up to, oh, come on, be shenanigans. Come on, beast. But, um, yeah, exactly. You forget that, like, these are real people and it's like having, like, it's going to have a long-term effect on them. 
Yeah, this isn't just a statistic going on. Yeah. And I, I think it's nice that we get to see an example of that here. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. Um, yeah, so uh, so with the Goblin's help, they, they take out Nicked Gut and uh, Avery heads out as Snowdrop wakes up again. Yeah, and so before we get to the Snowdrop and Avery convo, which is obviously very important, um, Avery also has a quick conversation with Gashwad here after they, they take out... Um, pig dog man and i do want to talk about this because so gash basically says that this guy actually wanted to live in kennet and they said no mm. and yeah that feels important like why did they say no i mean like obviously I he's mean, like a horrifying pig <laughs> dog monster. Guy, yeah <laughs> but the context of this like the way gash sort of suggests oh he asked if he could come to me that sort of makes it clear like he would have known about the agreement or was willing to to uphold the agreement yeah anyway so i I guess this this whole conversation is presupposing that that's the case like he this guy knew of and was willing to like agree to you know the rules of of being an other in kennet Mm -hmm. and Mm. so to i feel like then that's saying a lot if they said no to him because like so are we saying that some others are just irredeemable um, I don't like, even know if it's irredeemable so yeah. much as like not able to fly under the radar, you know, like I think the whole point of it is they don't hunt within Kennet, for example, right? Like yeah. that's an example of something that they want to do is fly under the radar. And as we saw with Nick Gut, he, he was happy to go into this innocent's house, you know, this innocent family's house and like do what he could to stay out of their way. But that's not, I mean, that's not super reliable, right? I if I was recruiting for Ken, I'd be like, this person is just too much of a risk. Uh, but like, again, I'm assuming that if he's agreeing to the rules of Ken, I thought that was one of the rules is that like, you can't do that shit in town. Well, sure. And I mean, he agrees to the rules, but if he fucks up, it's not just going to hurt him. It's going to hurt all of them. And so they have to be a bit more safe. Yeah. About it, right? But I, I, I'm just like, there's, there's, there's this whole thing we've been building in this story of like the way people treat others and, like to mm. not do, you know, like look at goblins. Like everyone is like, oh, they just go around, they kill goblins in their sleep. Um, we met like a goblin exterminator at the school, and like we've met these goblins, and we sort of see that there's hope for mm. them. Mm. And so, like, I'm I'm extremely hesitant to just write this guy off as you know someone who wouldn't be allowed to function in society because then like I I, like, I, I don't know, like, I you know where are we drawing these lines and stuff, right? Especially if we look at the others as this metaphor for disenfranchised mm. people, like. Mm. It, it feels really weird to say oh but not these ones mm. so you know obviously we didn't see this guy's best side in this chapter um but like you know remember our introduction to nicolette where uh, now i'd say i'm pretty team nicolette so i'm very curious to to maybe learn more about like why they would reject someone like this because to me i like this got my this just drew my attention and maybe maybe i am making a mountain out of a molehill but like especially with what we learn about Miss and the fact that she seemingly had some sort of plan later. Like, is this just, was she building something very specific and this guy's energy contradicted it, you know? Mm, and, yeah, and then again, what, what does that say about what she was building? What does that say about this guy? Like, I'm I'm curious to, to learn a bit more about all that. Yeah, I don't know. I wouldn't, I, I think Kenneth is a tentative enough situation that, while the ideal might be build a place for everybody and build a system that can work everywhere, that can't be where they start, you know? Yeah. And so I'm kind of, 
I mean, this guy is so clearly a risk factor to that that I'm like, don't take that risk. You've got enough risks. I mean, yeah, yeah, maybe. Like, I, I again, I, I this is something I would love to learn more about the, the reasoning behind. Yeah. Also, uh, Gashwad confirms that there's like little red wall esque animals running around this mm. world, like little fucking mm. squirrel knights and stuff. Um, why are we? Why are we following these losers? Like, <laughs> Lobo's just setting up his next short story. Yeah. Don't worry about it. Let's wrap Pale up because yeah. we got to do. We got to. We got to follow these squirrel knights. <laughs> we move from pale to tail, of course. Um, yeah. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, as as Snowdrop wakes up, we get the. I mean, I, I use the word confrontation in the notes, but that's not what it is. It's it's it it is them getting back on the same page in a way that they haven't really had the opportunity to do recently. Yeah, I, I think what I love the most about this is this is a conversation that we've been getting ready for for almost an arc now, like yes. since since we got to the Blue Heron Institute. And like yes. in a in another story, this could have been a misunderstanding that was like you know miscommunicated on and milked for drama for yeah. ages. Um, whereas here, like, this is the first time it actually really comes up as a direct problem. And these two, like, this conversation lasts, like, what, like, 500 words? <laughs> like, they're just, yeah. I, I loved how just good it was that it, they just, they're both so good at just communicating and, like, Avery's just like, hey, you know, is it okay that you got that download from me? And Snowdrop was like, well, yeah, and don't worry, it's like a one-time, like, they're just, they're so good at this. And, and like, the irony of, of Snowdrop being part of just this great communication like it's just it's so good mm, yeah no it is good like they are it's so nice they get back on the same page so quickly right and it's just great to see yeah and it's, it's just because they communicate well um and, and, and like not only do i love that because it fits into everything this chapter has been talking about with like avery and being part of a team because obviously her and snowdrop show they can do that when they can nail it um with mm. this conversation um but it, it yeah it's just reinforcing that idea that like avery isn't alone and and it's it's causing up all these stuff things like we get this closure of like well what does it mean if snowdrop got that thing for avery and it's you know it's like parenting it's like yeah she got that one download but from here she's her own person and you got to kind of respect that and move forward with her way with her mm. yeah, yeah it's just it's, it was all so good i i love this conversation <laughs> Yeah, no, it was great, wasn't it? Um, good on him. Like, especially because, okay, so, like, Snowdrop's awesome. I don't think that's news to anybody. No. But I, it, it was only at this point that I realized, like, Avery's been walking around for the last few arcs, like, glamouring herself up to be self-confident and remind herself that she can be cool. Mm. And I'm just, like, at this point, I was like, yeah, but Snowdrop, Snowdrop's, like, got a, you know, she's, like, what, 30% you, let's say. Mm. And she kicks ass, so, like... If you want evidence that you're good, Avery, like look at Snowdrop. It's, it's Avery keeps talking about how great Snowdrop is. And I'm just like, yeah, and you know, in part, she comes from you. That's you, use that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you'd think they they like each other so much. You'd think Avery would be able to recognize, oh, hey, Snowdrop is part like me. I can recognize the good things in myself from her. But that doesn't seem to be a train of thought that she clicks onto. Yeah, yeah, because I even found myself using that line of thinking in this conversation a bit like sort of actually finally realizing hey snowdrop does take a fair bit from avery like some of these insecurities and problems yes. avery has like yeah. snowdrop has as well like you know she has inherited some of these like insecurities or whatever and, and you can sort of see that in the way that like 
Snowdrop melts down because she fainted and sort of let the team down, and she's like not yes. okay with that. And it's I was a very like, that Avery is yeah, kind of thought right? exactly. Yeah. Um, like I, I can't believe that hadn't really been something I'd been consciously doing before. Now I was like using the the fact that there is some of Avery in Snowdrop where you can use that to like understand her perspective more. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So yeah, Avery still a better parent than either of Verona's. <laughs> um. Yes. So uh, Avery puts on her her uh, you know colorblind fixing glasses is what I was picturing. You know those glasses that colorblind people can wear that helps them see colors. Oh, Ruben, That's you need basically... to go back and and look at the confiscated items thing. They're way more intense than that. Are they? <laughs> yeah. I don't remember now. Oh, anyway, she puts them on. She sees some blobs of color, and and obviously this gets confirmed. That's where Lucy uh, and Daniel are. And Avery heads off to help Lucy bumping into Charles on the way. Um, yes. I mean, yeah, I, I, again, before we get to Charles. So Avery does have this thing because she uses her like Pegasus boots a lot in this chapter um, to get around. And here she has like this little thought about how, you know, oh, yes, like air spirits are whimsical and, and, and you know, flighty and they might stab you in the back. But also they're spirits of friendship. So if you're just like a good friend to them, um, they're less likely to... to short out on you and so she starts mm. doing like mad flips and cool stunts as she's like getting away on her pegasus boots and i was like oh so she's doing this to like appease the air spirits like the air spirits want her to do cool mad stunts is the impression i got <laughs> um yeah which is just great and again avery like avery always seems to manage to turn her train of thought to how alone she is but it's mm. like avery you've got all these you got your friends in the boot you got your friendly wind spirits yeah, yeah. Like, um, there's so many moments where she's like, I think when she puts on these glasses and she's like, you know, ah, yes, I'm in my neighborhood, but only technically because, you know, like this is right on the corner of my neighborhood and it's, it's pretty much in the other way. Like, she just, she always manages to find a way to distance herself from everything. Mm. And it's just like, you, no, like you're surrounded by people who care about you. You got goblins, you've got air spirits, you got Lucy and Avery, like you got Snowdrop. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. She's got friends. I don't know. She's not a. She just is. She's stuck in that mindset of, oh, I'm Avery. I'm I'm a loner. You know. Yeah, yeah. She gives herself so much less credit than she ought to. Yeah. Um. So we get some more Charles time here, which is nice. I feel like we yeah. haven't spoken to him in ages. Um. And he is just as creepy and suspicious as ever. Although one of the first things that happens in this chapter is he talks Avery into smacking him in the face, <laughs> which is just like, I mean, if he's trying to appear not suspicious, this is a great way to do it. Just like encouraging people to subject him to physical violence. See, that's weird. It had the opposite effect on me. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Cause there's this moment where she, th he's like, Oh, you've got to punch me to check. I'm not glamor or whatever. And she's like, that seems harsh. And then there's this bit where it's like, he got a dark look in his eyes. And I was like, mm. I, I still don't fully understand why he got that dark look. Like, what is it? Because it's not that harsh. Because of all the shit he's gone through. Is mm. it? Is it because she was foiling his secret plan that you know it starts with him getting smacked in the face? <laughs> like, I don't. Mm -hmm. I think that's the thing. Like, this story is just living rent free in my head because I'm like, do I not trust Charles because he's got bad karma? So the story makes him look bad, or is mm. that is that the the trap the story wants me to fall in. And in fact, <laughs> I shouldn't be trusting him because he is actually evil. Like I can't, I, I don't, I don't know what to do. I'm just, I'm just going in circles between not trusting him and also, Oh no, but that's, that's just the thing. Oh, but that's what the story wants me to. Yeah. It's so much fun. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It, it really is like, 
I mean, Charles has pretty consistently been, whether through bad karma or what, one of the people that all the evidence seems to point at least somewhat towards. Not enough to be definitive and not enough where he's ever the only suspect, but every piece of evidence in the Carmine Beast murder points at least somewhat to Charles, right? Yeah, like um, the whole Yolda thing still feels yep. like it has Charles written all um, over it. Exactly, right. Um, um, this this perimeter stuff puts him in the yep. line of fire again. Yep, like it's just, yep. he keeps popping up and it's like, is that karma? Is that because he's involved? Like He's the only one who can lie. He's the only one who hasn't had yes. a proper, proper interview. I mean, the closest we've got with an interview was when he was in the seat of the car with... Um, Matthew and Edith and Charles, but then we actually got a proper interview of Matthew and Edith. That never happened for Charles. Like, yeah, he's he's kind of been the one where it's like we haven't we haven't crossed him off our list very convincingly. Yeah, yeah, and as you said, like before, he's the one person who can lie. So even if we do yep. do this stuff, I can't. Trust <laughs> I mean, yeah, him. what what's that going to mean? Yeah, exactly. Anyway, I, I felt that's so important in this world that like you literally can't trust him and it's like yes bullshit it, like i wouldn't be surprised if the thing is he actually just hasn't ever lied like that's not he can oh yeah and, and he's like the one person who isn't deceiving them because it's like <laughs> everyone else has to tell the truth but they they spin lies <laughs> through like half truths been, everyone was involved in the murder of the coin <laughs> except, <Charles>. except charles <laughs> <laughs> Even Cherry Pop got included. But not yeah, Charles. Cherry Pop was um, in the whole time. Yeah, like, like I, I just it would be it would be hilarious to me if the twist was the one person who could lie was the only one who didn't feel the need to. Um, so yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, just when it comes to Charles, I just end up in in just being a mess of well, do I not trust him because that's what I'm meant to do, or is that a trap that I'm falling into? Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. we get more info on his backstory here as well, or like. So he he helped build the perimeter, which we sort of knew. But I feel like the new information we got here was that he was doing that before he was forsworn. Like I don't think we knew that he was affiliated with the town before he came right. as the forsworn person. Right. I, I didn't know how he'd gotten here, but yeah, I mean that was something. Is I I didn't know. Is that right? I I think my impression was he was like the Kennet practitioner. Before he got Force One, then he was Force One, and then they just didn't replace him for a while. But I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I mean, they were so yeah, they were so weird about how he fitted in as their yeah, predecessor. We've never, we've never had the full history of Kennet, right? So yeah, you know, it's never been clarified. Like yeah, basically, he was sort of like the practitioner they were willing to trust. He built them their thing, and I, I feel like I wonder if they didn't want him here because I always wondered like, oh, well, I, I guess I saw why they had accepted him, but like this sort of had me thinking. If he was like, because he'd agreed to abide by the rules when he was in town, like that's something he says here. So if that's yeah. true, maybe that was like the thing is like when he got forsworn, he just rushed to Kennet because he knew that he was part of the agreement while he was there. So they wouldn't mm. be allowed to hurt him. Like maybe they didn't want him here. You know, mm. just speaking about Mr. Pig Dog Man and like his whole thing. Like, is Charles another one where Miss didn't want him here, but she had no choice because he it was part of the agreement? Mm. Although he loses all his other agreements when. He got forsworn, didn't he? Like he lost his domain and all that other shit. Didn't yes, he? yes. So he... I wonder. Yeah, I don't know. I, mm. I, I'm always just so fascinated in this like mystery we're building around the origin of Kenneth. Like it just feels like there's some critical clue. In yes, for sure. The, the origins, and we get more of it with Miss here. Um, 
just every, like I, I always love these sneak peeks into this this mystery that doesn't feel like it's been hyped up with the story, but has always felt super important to me. Of like, how did this all start? Yeah, there's gonna be something in there, right? I really, I agree with you. It feels like there's some buried clue in the origins of Kenneth story that we're eventually going to get you know I, I, the, the I, avatar one-esque story of how <laughs> it started yeah but i feel like we so i just to, to just jump ahead a bit we sort of learned that uh miss had some sort of plan for this mm. what that she was working on and snowdrop knows it um mm. like yeah so it all sort of comes down to okay well where does does the carmine beast fit into that does it sit along like is that yeah. someone else doing a thing and it sits alongside it yeah. um anyway that's how i feel like it could connect is like learning what can because i'm sort of picturing Kenneth as some sort of hallow that was being made like we talked about hallows within nicolette's interlude um with like her head ring thing that she had that she wore on it um like she had that headpiece so if, if Kenneth was being turned into some sort of specific hallow and that's now being interfered with like us learning exactly what miss was doing by building that hallow i feel like we'll then be like you know this set of dominoes in our heads of like, oh, well, she was building this and then the Carmine Beast gets added into it, then that does this and, mm. you know, and then boom, 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 and that's why X person did Y to the Carmine Beast. And yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> I'm so far <laughs> from understanding the mystery in this. Like, that's what I love about this story. I feel like we've had so much opportunity to nitpick the shit out of this mystery and I feel like I'm, I'm not even close. Yeah, I'm... I... I know as much as I did when we started, right? We've got <laughs> yeah. clues that have basically just pointed us in three different directions and then I've kind of sat down and thought, I'll just wait and see. I, I'll <laughs> wait until we get the parlor room scene where Poirot explains it to the idiots like me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I'm, I'm sort of on the same page. Um, like, it's just... I, and this is what I've always said I loved about long-form stories and in particular the Wild Burst stories. Like, he throws so many balls in the air that, like, you can't put all those pieces of string that are connecting them together uh and that's mm. what's always so fun mm. yeah um so yeah uh, every and charles come to glamour street which is uh daniel kind of through glamour bringing this fairy realm uh into kennet um first temporarily but definitely seems like it, it, it will theoretically become real over time and basically fall part of kennet into the fairy realms is the vibe i'm getting from it that's certainly a theory that's posed uh by avery here but it's kind of like either way um uh, wait, the big takeaway for me here is uh operation stop daniel has gone very poorly since we last checked in with lucy mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's gone from chasing him through the woods to he's converted a whole street to being in here a fairy he's, market yeah he's fucked marissica right up um gotten a bunch of innocence involved like this is just we thought verona and avery were doing bad but like lucy is you know fucking drowning yep um there's this other bit where i mean we're talking about the backstory of kenneth and charles asks about miss a bit as well Mm. and it just feels weird right like miss's presence is still so felt here that charles asking about her feels suspicious and i don't i don't know what it is i've heard it's the way because when miss first comes up and he's like ah miss is she still gone which i was just like I mean, surely he would know. Yeah, like, why? If, what yeah. kind of a question is that? Like, that that yeah. was, like, instantly I'm voting imposter when you ask a mm-hmm. question like yeah. that, right? So um, Charles Vent. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, I could get, like, Charles, I, I feel like we're going to learn that Charles figured out what Miss was doing or something because he, he does sort of have those skills. I don't know. 
Um, we'll see. I, I feel like the other interesting clue we we get here from Charles about Miss is like there's that bit where Avery's like, oh, I think she left on purpose because she saw where this was going and mm-hmm. she knew she'd be as vulnerable as you were. Mm. And Charles is like, oh, or vulnerable in the opposite way. And yes, I was like, which Avery doesn't process. I also did not process that. <laughs> no, I sat with it for a while, and the best I've come up with is Charles talks about how everyone will target him. Like his thing with bad karma is, you know, it's like if you have to pick someone out of a crowd to do something mm-hmm. bad to, it'll always be Charles. Mm-hmm. Um, so what if Miss? What if Miss was the opposite, right? So if Charles is constantly targeted by everything, what if Miss's problem was she knew she was going to get left behind? Like, what if she mm. was building this place up and she realized that when all the Carmine B shit went down, whatever she's setting up, she set up some fucking grand master plan or whatever, and as a lost, she was just going to get left out of it. Untethered, right. Yeah, like, you know, it's going to, oh, what if it's going to pick up everyone in town and give them power? Like, what if like, this is something to, like, make them all the Carmine Beast or something and spread that power around and, and give them all a claim, but she was going to miss out because she was lost or something, you know? like. Mm. like vulnerable in the opposite way to charles in that she wouldn't get targeted mm. but that feels like i'm stretching to sort of get to that yeah i i don't know i could see it it's kind of like um you know we talked about miss defining a role for herself as the kind of guardian of Kennet. potentially there's if Kennet falls apart does mrs role fall away and then she's kind of vulnerable as well as she kind of got out in front of that somehow i don't know that's kind of where my mind went a bit, but it's not. But how's that the opposite to Charles, I guess? Well, because it's kind of what you're talking about, right? Where this is a way that Miss would just kind of get forgotten, whereas Charles would be targeted. I don't, right, I don't right. Know. Yeah. You're right. It doesn't. And maybe it is just Charles being a piece of shit and it's not meant to make <laughs> sense. It's just meant to be confusing. God, he's in our heads. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, Avery reaches the stage and sees Danny with a blade battling with Lucy. Marusica is injured and Lucy seems to be struggling. Um, Avery gets on stage and the two of them start their challenge. I mean, this is why I love fairy shit so much. Like, this is so dramatic. This whole, mm-hmm. like, literally, Daniel has set up a stage for this fight. Like, I can't, like, I just, it's so good. Like, we got a fucking stage to have a sword fight on while also we're singing in front of a crowd. Like, <laughs> fairy shit is so delightful. It's just so... It, it, they're just this mechanism for Wildbo to create the most overly dramatic shit and it feels so rooted in the world and, and you get the effect of all this overly dramatic bullshit that should feel mm-hmm. tacky but doesn't. Like, I, yeah, I love this. Yeah. <laughs> It's good, isn't it? Um, yeah, I'm hyped for this fight. I mean, it's it feels like we get to see Lucy do some more Fade Duelist stuff, which has always been the best. And Daniel is basically a, a Guillaume light version, right? So it's kind of how far has she come? She was never able to really keep up with Guillaume, but how does she do against, you know, Daniel, who's Guillaume light, basically? Well, and, and Guillaume was never going to go all the way. He couldn't actually harm her, like, yes, permanently. exactly. Anything, right, whereas, like... It wasn't a real fight, exactly. Yeah, whereas with Daniel, like, who the fuck knows where his head's at in that regard? Uh, it could change any second. Um, mm. But yeah, like, like yeah, the, you're right. The, this, the ending of this chapter hypes this fight up so much because you've got, like, Avery and Lucy on opposite sides in a circle, like, walking the perimeter, which I is... I mean, it, they're like sharks, right, is the vibe I get. They're kind of circling like sharks in a great way. Yeah, or it's just, like, you know, this is just, like, it's exactly like this sort of 
fucking classical medieval sword fight bullshit where you've got like mm. two people surrounding the villain um yeah i mean the extra material does kind of dampen my excitement for how violent this, this fight can get <laughs> um but yeah oh i suppose the only other thing here is as well avery kind of slaps herself out of being entranced by uh daniel which i mean charles was just making her practice her slaps was this his plan all along <laughs> he was just warming up her slapping hand yeah <laughs> For real, like that did feel like a connection, and I was like, okay, am I just being silly here, or like, <laughs> oh gosh, um, yeah, no, it's great, it's, it's classic, um, yeah, so that's where 5.3 ends. Um, we move into 5.4, which is a phone conversation, and oh, it's sorry, Verona. That, that was. That was 5.4, and this is the 5.4. Sorry, 5.4 bonus material, yeah, which is a phone conversation. And we see Verona, uh, ring, ring, uh, gives that hotline bling to uh, Bristow. Um, yeah, and and obviously, like, what we should talk about here is, like, the extra material, like, you know, it's not just text, right? It, it's like the, there's like this visual aspect to, to this transcription of the phone call that really takes advantage of, like, it as a medium versus just written text. Like mm. there's there's tons of cool use of like spacing uh to visually depict the call. Like uh when Sharon's being ignored and she's distant, her her text is like less opaque. Uh when someone talks over someone else, it literally puts their text on top of it. Um we get all these like sound effects and stuff. It's it's just all really cool, unique things to this sort of imagey thing that like, you know, you couldn't do in the story proper. Yeah, I mean, how would you write a phone conversation and not have it feel like it drags on, right? I mean, this is a great way to represent it. It 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 does so much justice to, like you said, like people talking over each other and background sound effects and all these bits and pieces. Like, it's just a perfect way to represent it. It's so cool, and I'm sad that it. Uh, I haven't seen it in other things, but what a great yeah. way to represent it. Wild Bo has found. Yeah, because you could do this in in just text. And and it would it just wouldn't quite work as well because like interruptions would have to be like the the person just gets cut off you you know you'd you'd have to add this like it's just so much cooler to see Sharon being in the distance by just having her text fade um mm. uh, like yeah it's to me like the 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 way like the text placement spacing was used really justified this being not just in text yeah yeah um <laughs> yeah it's great. Uh, so yeah, uh, Bristow and Verona uh, have a conversation and make a deal. Uh, if Bristow regrets the outcome of all of this, he'll be gainsaid. If not, Verona will be. Uh, yeah, I mean, sure, Verona. Like, just what we needed is more stakes. <laughs> you know, I was just, I was just here thinking this is all mm. too easy. It's such a bad idea by Verona, <laughs> right? Like, but because what she's doing here is she's just assuming that she knows everything that's going on. And she kind of, seemingly she knows a fair amount, but there's clearly so much to this that she could, she's assuming that she has Bristow worked out 100%. And I mean, she's never even met Bristow. Like she could really have no idea what's going on here. And it's I, I, just a mistake. Yes. I, I think it's fair to say that we maybe overestimated Bristow's ability to care about other people. So it's yes. like- you know, he's like, I'm pretty confident I won't be able to regret this. And I sort of like, I could believe that because you don't give a shit about this. He's a piece of shit. Yeah, he <laughs> literally doesn't care about these tenants at all. Yeah. So, uh, like, yeah, I mean, this is cool because, like, from the spirit perspective, like, like you know, again, using the the readers of the spirits metaphor, this, this does raise the stakes and, like, sort of them setting this up to me is like, whoa, cool. Like, 
which yeah. means like the spirits are presumably thinking the same thing and and like you know this will make shit get more dramatic so yeah. i'm excited for that as a sort of spirit reader person um but also there's that part of me that's like oh shit does charles need to make room in the apartment for uh you know our, our new forsworn kenneth person mm. i mean yeah not forsworn gainsaid which is it's not that- as bad but I thought it was the same thing. It was just if you gainsay someone, you get the power from them as opposed to if they're generally forsworn, it's just that. Like... Oh, I thought gainsaying was like just a a kind of forsworn light, you know? Maybe I'm wrong. I I had interpreted it as like like it, it's sort of the forsworn where somebody claims that power. Right. Right. Okay. So like you're, you're forsworn either way, but if you're gainsaid, someone specifically called you out on it and like, taken the reward side of things of you being forsworn right maybe i'm wrong yeah um i mean either way like you don't want to be gainsaid (laughs) no yeah for sure um yeah it's yeah it'll be a problem regardless um so bristow explains that he's not gonna take any action here uh he's confident that the tenants will figure themselves out and eventually find their way back as long as they don't get killed and he's pretty sure that verona's not going to kill them so why does he give a shit basically yeah, I mean, this is where Bristow really just cements himself as the fucking worst. Um, mm-hmm. And again, I'm including Alexander in that. Like, yep. I still pick the side of neither. Let's burn them both down. But like, if I had to pick one, because um, like, like Bristow's whole thing here is he's like, I don't need to side with you because fucking your shit up presumably hurts Alex. And the chance of that being true is enough for me. And Verona is like heavily implying we don't like Alex. We will switch to be on your side if you just stop being a shithead for five seconds. And Bristow just isn't interested. It's just, it's infuriatingly selfish and stubborn. And I, was, I just hate him. I hate him a lot. Mm, yeah. I mean, it's, I didn't expect us to find someone that was clearly a bigger piece of shit than uh, Alexander, but Bristow is. It's yeah. Undeniably. But it's, it's yeah, because it's just like, I, I don't even feel at least alexander like, pr- pretends to give a shit <laughs> yeah i don't it's a, it but this doesn't make me like alexander more uh, uh, on the other hand like it just makes me hate them both like it, you know mm. it's just this is exactly the sort of fuck the system shit that <laughs> you sort of get where it's like you know these two are the two who are on top and they they like hate yeah. each other but it's like a narcissism of small differences like they're both yeah. just shit yeah um like bristow explains these these two seemingly like they feel really important ideas to me of coup and and claim where Mm. like coup is basically if you do cool shit you can enhance your ability to um try and claim something or break someone else's claim Mm -hmm. uh and then claim is basically having the ability to say i own this uh yes and the universe will conspire to like keep it near you or something yes and and bristow's whole argument is basically he has claim over these people um yeah I, a claim seems similar to what we've heard of before with like the kenneteers having a kind of intangible attachment to each other right they, they yeah they almost are claimed to each other yeah and the other example is like your implement like if you throw yes. away your implement it will find It'll its way back, back to you, to you apparently yeah. um so it's so a claim is sort of the universe will conspire to keep things where it thinks they belong and there's all these yes. ways you can claim it's just like i mean the fact that bristow is doing this with people <laughs> You're just like, mm. okay, so you're like shit. Like, you know, that's that's just slavery without any extra steps, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Like to just claim that you own people. Um, yeah, I mean, he's yeah, yeah. No, he a hundred percent. He's just a piece of shit. Like, <laughs> I'm 
we kind of have touched on whether there's a utilitarian argument to be made for Bristow. And he kind of tiptoes around it um, in this bonus material where he says, you know, under oath in the way practitioners are, oh, their lives are no worse than if I wasn't around. Like I'm at least somewhat improving their lives. Um, But I don't know, that's subjective, right? Like as an example, let's say Clem would have died if Bristow hadn't found her. Is it better that she died quickly or would it be better for her to continue to subject everyone that she ever cares about to torment and therefore have to kind of go into this, you know, uh, nun-esque lifestyle of not ever being able to get close to somebody? I mean, there's an argument to be made there, but it's subjective enough that I don't think Bristow could say I could improve people's I'm Their lives are better with me and be have that be unimpeachable, you know? Yeah. I, the, the, the sort of scenario that went through my mind is like okay so like say bristow is a, a a billionaire right and he's got he's got a billion dollars in his wallet and he walks past like clem on the street and it's like he could afford to give her ten thousand dollars and barely bat an eye it's barely a dent in his funds um mm. but what he does is he gives her five dollars to work for him for a year and it's mm. sort of like okay yeah now she's five dollars richer but like you could do so much more so very easily mm-hmm. and her life would be a million times better like, you know what i mean like it's just like the idea that it's like oh that i am making their lives better it's like yeah but you're you're doing it less than you could because it's like you if you increase it by five percent you get tons of control over them if you increase it by 100 percent, you lose that control so you're improving their mm-hmm. lives but by less than you could so that you're doing it in the way where you yes. have this claim over them like fuck exactly that. <laughs> yeah I- we don't know this for sure, but theoretically, Clem could be cured if a practitioner took enough of care about her, right? If a practitioner cared to do it. That, theoretically, that's possible. Theoretically, that's possible for any of the people in Bristow's apartment. But he's the measures that he's taking are actively just the ones that will keep them under his control. So he can't yeah. play, you know, oh, I'm at least improving their lives somewhat. Like, fuck off. Yeah, because I, I think we, we brought up Bree as a comparison to Clem already, as like someone who like could have very easily ended up a tenant with Bristow. Um, mm. And she didn't because Zed like fell in love with her and and he sort of got her out of that situation by awakening her. And, mm. and like Brie has sort of been my like good example of like for someone like Clem as a comparison, like Brie got lucky and Clem didn't. Um, yeah. And it was when this conversation on coup and claim was happening that I basically became convinced that someone's, that like you know not to spoil our discussion question but i'm pretty much convinced at this point we're going to tell clem something um just because bristow's whole thing is i have this claim i kind of own these people they will come back to me and you sort of can't change that and i'll be gainsaying if if that's not the case and i feel like and and the other side of his relationship with clem is he's refused to tell her things to keep her under his thumb so if they undermine this by going out on a limb for her and and telling her something to help her It'll take her away from Bristow. Like, you know, it'll be good for her because, like, his whole thing is, oh, I'm setting up their destinies. And it's like, no, like, you know, they'll free her of the claim and she can chase her own destiny as a fucking informed person on the bullshit exactly, she's going through. right. And, yeah. yeah, like, I, just this whole thing, like, it's like, they're not, like, I feel like Bristow would frame it around this thing of, like, oh, they will try and free them from my claim so they can put them under their claim. But the Kennedys aren't pieces of shit, so they're not going to claim yeah. claim they're going to be like, hey, Clem, here you go. Do whatever you need to do. Like, I, I felt that that's going to be the framing, right? It's going to be, we will tell you what you need to 
help improve your life. Um, yeah. And I, that will just undermine yeah. everything Bristow stands for in the claim, in keeping her in the dark. Like, yeah. Yeah. I, I, it's like Bristow can't conceive of the fact that it's not just about owning <laughs> resources, right? Yeah. Like, that's and, not and, the goal for some people. And I, I don't even think this will be limited to Clem. Um, like, mm-hmm. Sharon obviously is an obstacle to convince on anything, but like, if there's yes. anything she's going to believe, it's conspiracy theories. So, I wouldn't be surprised if by the time she leaves town, they've managed to convert Sharon against Bristow to some degree. Because my thought about Sharon is like, as a skeptic, she might be somewhat immune to a lot of this claim bullshit, right? Like, mm. if the if the if the world of the magic and spirits doesn't apply to her, does that extend to these things like claim and maybe karma? Like, I don't know to what extent those core systems are affected by her. Yeah, and just uh, like the kind of person that she is. If she gets the idea of, oh, I'm going to go do this thing in her head, she seems yeah. like not only would she, that get stuck there for her, but the universe might even conspire to help that happen. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so then it's kind of like, okay, so if we can convince Clem by telling her and sort of proving what good people the Kennedys are, how much better they are at Bristol at the same time as undermining him, like that's a big coup move to me is, is to tell her to undermine his philosophy as well as his position um mm. and then just turning sharon against him by playing on her conspiracy theory bullshit uh so i guess that just leaves daniel and how can you how can you affect bristow through daniel well the answer is the answer is his <laughs> answer sister is, uh, verona messages shelly and lets her know what's going on <laughs> i fucking lost my shit when i saw this i was just like oh that is like the ultimate chaos move is just hey shelly daniel's in danger and bristow put him there uh thanks bye yep <sighs> yeah i it's a it's an interesting strategy for sure um i don't know i hopefully this will go in their favor in the <laughs> sense that shelly will come in and stop things from going too crazy at least like pulling daniel out of trouble for sure but also shelly's the one who goes around killing fairies and we also we obviously know mariska and Guillaume aren't doing so crash hot at the moment yes but Hopefully the Kenneteers, yeah, will have that chance to be like, they didn't wanna. Like, like, you know, the whole thing is like Shelly Shelly was clearly just trying to stop Daniel from doing basically exactly this. Yes. And so to find out, and I'm sure even Daniel will like bemoan to her, like, like, you know, Gilmay and Marissica didn't want to give him this stuff. He had to steal it. Um yeah. so that's that one shred of hope I have for the fairies still being able to get out of this. Um mm. but yeah, it like for me it feels like the very high risk strat because Little does Verona know as she's making this call that Lucy and Avery are about to go at Daniel with swords out. Um, yes. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, worst like, case I, scenario is <laughs> Shelly rocks up, Lucy has just disarmed, you know, Daniel and Shelly pulls her gun or whatever. Yeah. Well, I feel like what we're about to see is like, we'll jump into like Lucy's head for the next chapter. There's going to be this like epic fight. And then like, yeah, just as she manages to stab him or something or, or hurt him in some like way, Verona will rock up and be like, "Hey, don't make sure you don't hurt him." Um, yeah, like you know, Ver- how quickly Verona can get to this fight to tell them that <laughs> we can't do physical harm is going to be very important for how things go yes. after that. Yeah, for sure. And I, I, there's for a lot sure. of dramatic irony to play off of in the next chapter with us knowing they're not allowed to hurt Daniel and them not necessarily knowing that. Mm, yeah. Um, yeah, I hope Verona has recorded this conversation. Thinking about it, <laughs> Sharon almost certainly has a bunch of like uh, record your phone kind of apps or whatever. So theoretically, You'd it's think possible. So, yeah, 
I don't know. I, yeah, I mean, I, I think what's going to be fun about this is, like, so because the extra material so far has mostly been treated as optional. Like, you don't need to read it. And we sort of mm-hmm. talked about that and how insane you are if you aren't reading it. Um, but that sort of means we're not going to see this phone call in the story, presumably. So yes. we'll need to sort of learn about it somehow. And the way the recording yeah. is is definitely like one way. If there is a recording and they play it for Clem, we can kind of get it. But the thing is, the story, if this is meant to be optional, there will need to be like a summary of the conversation somewhere. And I think it would be very funny if it's Verona summarizing this phone call to everyone else because it's going to be, is she going to mention the gainsay deal that they made? Like, is she going to, mm. like, what parts will she focus on? I think that's like an extra fun part of these extra materials is we maybe get insight into what Verona is and isn't focusing on in, in when she shares this. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Maybe having it recorded will be a way to do that. We'll see, I yeah. suppose. Um but you're right. We're obviously not going to hear Verona play this out 100% again, right? So, uh, yeah, we'll get the Cliff Notes version in the story, would be my assumption. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but we'll have to wait to see because that's where these bonus materials end, which means that's uh, nearly the end of our episode. Uh, yes. But before we go, uh, we need to talk about the answers to the discussion question we just ran uh, over yes. the last week and a bit. The question was, should Avery tell Clementine, basically? <laughs> yeah. Um, we got and, a lot of answers to this. Yeah, a lot of great ones, um, especially like considering where I feel we left off in in this extra material after 5.4. I feel like it was a very, it's still a very relevant question. Yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. Uh, we got a wide range of answers. I mean, yeah. nobody suggested, yes, tell her everything, tell her immediately. That was not an answer we got, which I think is... Fair enough. It's a dangerous situation and it requires caution. Yeah. Um, so we, what, one of the closest we got to yes was from Megafire7, um, mm-hmm. who basically said, yeah, they, they, they sort of should, but obviously not right here and now. Like, there's enough going on that it's probably not the time and place to do it. Um, because mm-hmm. if presumably when she becomes fully aware, she loses some of the protections she has as an innocent. Mm-hmm. Um so like you need to be careful about how you introduce her to this world so you can awaken her and get her some different protections first and this is not the time to leave her without protections for a bit yeah she needs something to keep her safe right yeah um yeah uh on the other side of the aisle we had bro 97 who uh says and and said what a lot of people who say no said she's just such a train wreck in term like karmically not personally yeah in the sense that she just accumulates pain and suffering and that is not somebody you want to take karmic responsibility for having said that they should do something to help her eg maybe write out questions for bristow yeah well yeah brawl's suggestion was if they find out that clem gets to ask questions in bristow maybe the kenneteers could give her a hand writing some uh you know once he's not gonna like uh yeah. which i thought was a really fun tactic yeah 100 um, percent. yeah uh we had haunt of the heron who who kind of along the same lines as megafire 7 was like morally they they kind of are obligated to because like yes clem is a risk but um she's so much better equipped to, to help herself if you awaken her um but they also raised the question of this probably isn't the time yes probably not the time um 
Now, here's an answer I really loved. Meiji Howe says, yes, you should, but don't do it yourself. Get Charles to do it. Basically, what's he got to lose? <laughs> this this might have been my favorite answer it, just from it, like how much I cackled when reading it because like it what a big brain play perfect. that is. Perfect. <laughs> yes. Charles, go in there, take karmic responsibility. I mean, what's the worst that's going to happen, right? It's yeah. fucking Charles. It can't get any worse. Yeah, I, I, I don't know if karma has a bottom. Maybe it can, um, but it doesn't seem like we don't get the impression it does. So just getting Charles to, you know, this is his job, you know, Wait, this seems better for him than taking like Louise's pain or whatever. Um, I suppose the question is with his karma, would Clem listen? Mm. Um, true. And maybe that's the rub, but I'm sure there's a way of like, you know, having Avery broach the topic. Then See, say, but okay, it, now the second to you get them the truth. too involved, do they take some responsibility? Yeah, you know? maybe. Like, yeah, maybe, maybe. I don't know. Um, Beard of Valor had had something kind of similar to uh, to Brawl ninety sevens as well, which is don't tell Clem everything. That that is too much of a risk. But maybe mm. point her in the right directions, like like you know, um, and Napalm Eagle Eagle sort of touched on this as well. Like don't maybe just tell her part of the reason you can't say, yeah. like just say, oh, there are rules why we can't say. But hey, maybe you should ask Bristow stuff with it or maybe you should wonder why bristow did xyz like so not yeah not telling her but like trying to do that that thing where you, you you're one step removed which is what bristow you set it up about. so that she has to get awakened by bristow kind of or bristow yeah. risks losing her you know well and, and bristow talked about in this in 5.4's extra material about how he's like one step removed so he's not karmically on the hook and yes. so uh that was what um beard of valor was sort of talking about here is like do the same thing back at him like just sort of don't tell her but just sort of put the right questions in her mind so that when she's you know next face with bristow uh she, you know he's more likely to accidentally uh take some responsibility for her mm, yeah i think it's a good approach yeah i thought we um, got a, a bunch of good answers that were very thoughtful about how to do this just, just one last thing before we go from this uh napalm eagle did bring up in their response as well um, and, and a few people now have pointed out to us that, yes, um, there were two extra Mile End sessions that we didn't know about that we didn't cover in our episode. Um, they weren't you, linked in the main document. Yes, you, you can stop sending them to us now. <laughs> We've received them <laughs> from multiple sources. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know if we're going to have the time anytime soon to sit down and look at those and, and figure out if we're going to follow it up. So uh, don't don't hold your breath, but like I'm going to read them myself um, we could maybe do a donation goal for patrons or something like yeah um, i don't know yeah we have obviously no plans right now obviously this is a conversation we're having right now um <laughs> yeah we, we we haven't thought this through i mean i there were some characters i did feel like we didn't get to focus on as much as i would have liked in that episode it was a bit of a because it, it was a new format um there were there were yes. some things we, like we barely talked about tara or jojo to the extent i would have liked um, yeah so uh, like it would be fun to revisit it but not sure when it's going to happen so thank you for letting us know we're aware and yeah stay tuned i guess yeah cool um and with that we've reached the end of our episode thank you for joining us everybody if you want to discuss uh this episode or the chapters we covered or just stuff in general i guess just life you know you can do so <laughs> by going to our discussion threads which will be linked down in the uh show notes below uh, yes, uh, we're also on Twitter, uh, at MediaMD Podcast. 
my live read schedule has just changed. So if you're someone who follows that, uh, head on over to doofmedia.com forward slash calendar to see when the new times are. Uh, I've, I've just started back in the office, uh, so I can't guarantee I'll be home in time to do them at the regular time. So it's all moved around. Uh, so yeah, uh, that's where you need to go if you follow those and want to know when they happen. Yeah, definitely. Um, if you want, you can also head to the website, doofmedia.com, which is the place to go to for all your Doof Media goodness. <laughs> um, you can see all the other great Doof shows, get access to all the things that you might ever want to know about everything for Doof Media. Yeah, one of the big things that that's sort of happening on our on the Patreon side, patreon.com forward slash Doof Media, uh, is where we've been adding a lot more bonus shows to the docket. Uh, so as well as Freeman Bros, um, mm-hmm. we also have a new Patreon-exclusive show called Other Levels of the Tower, uh, which is something Matt and Scott are doing. It's a bit of a spin-off of, of their Kingslingers show uh, where they watch like other Stephen King adaptations or, or, other, or read others of his books and um, talk about them that they would and stuff they wouldn't cover in Kingslingers, basically. Yeah. Um, there's yeah. also Matthias and Jarvis's uh, anime show called Doofovers. It's not technically an anime show, but it is. So far. <laughs> yes, it is. Um, uh, how can people get access to these this bonus content? Yeah, that's at the ten dollar or above tier. So patreon.com forward slash doofmedia. Check it out. There's a thing where if you pay for a whole year in advance, you get a discount. So it could be less than ten dollars. Wow. Um, I think it's like a 10% discount or something. Bargain. Yeah, so um, go check that out. There's also a bonus content what? show coming from Ruben and I. Um, oh, yes, that's right. On this that's coming Wednesday. out this week, yeah. Yeah, so uh, that will be the first episode in our new series, and we're going to drop a trailer in this feed, so keep your ears out for that. Keep your ears pierced for that. While you're on Patreon, why not head to patreon.com forward slash wildbow and support wildbow? I hear that Patreon has opened up a new way to support your favorite content creators where you can not just donate the money, but also donate hand-drawn nudes to them. So <laughs> head on over to patreon.com forward slash wildbow and uh, support wildbow however you see fit. Yeah, I I think he prefers the money. I think I he guess. probably prefers the money, yes. I, yes. But I guess I, I haven't asked, so don't quote me on that. But like, gut instinct. <laughs> we, who knows? <laughs> uh, yes. And with that, we will see you next time on Hell Reflection.